Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41, and in just a moment, we'll look at verse 10, Isaiah 41, verse 10. This morning, I want to start a series of sermons uh, a little bit unlike what I have been doing in the last few years. We've been going through books of the Bible, and uh, I love that. I love of some of the books, I love all the books that we've gone through, but uh, Revelation, James, Acts, Joshua, Daniel, and others. But what I want to do the next few weeks, several weeks, I want to share with you some of the scriptures that are very uh, significant to me. Uh, just some various texts that uh, the Lord has used in my life, and I hope that they'll be a blessing to you as well. And really, the first one that I want to share with you is a verse that I have prayed multiple times over the last 40 years. I memorized this, I believe, when we were in seminary together in Texas, and uh, my wife and I. And it's one of my favorite verses. The title of the message today comes straight from this text. Really, it talks about God's hand. I want to talk to you about the fact that we are safe in God's hand, safe in God's hand. Isaiah 41, verse 10, and I know we've got a lot of translations out there, but so we can uh, read it together and all say the same thing. Let's read it off the screen. Would you read that with me, please? Here we go. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now leave that on the screen just for a second. When I was growing up, we sang an old hymn. Now watch this. Just try to follow along. It's a little bit different, but it's from the King James part of it. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I'll still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. wonder where they got that. Where do you think they got that? They got that from Isaiah 41, verse 10. It's almost a word-for-word -word, uh, copy of it. And that's a great place to get any song, and that is... From the Word of God. I don't know of a time when there's been more fear in our society than in the last couple of years. Last two or three years, we have been in stressful times. How many of you would agree with that? Anybody believe that? Yeah, we've had tough times. Been a pandemic and it just doesn't want to go away. There are people still dying from COVID-19. Everywhere you look, the price of everything is going up. Price of cars, price of groceries, price of clothing, price of uh, gasoline, the price of houses, the price of rent. Everywhere you look, it's going up. And we're facing possible supply chain breakdowns. China is limiting usage of electricity in their land and so much of what we depend on to be shipped here is manufactured in China. 
And so the limiting the usage of the electricity has slowed down production there and it further complicates and messes up the supply chain problems. And if you haven't noticed, we also have political polarization in America. We're having racial division and we live in a cancel culture where if you don't agree with every little thing somebody believes, they will just cut you off and not allow you to speak into their lives. Even at universities that are supposed to be places where you can hear all kinds of ideas. If you have a certain idea in many of our universities nowadays, if you, for instance, believe the Bible is the word of God, they'll cut you off and not let you speak into the students' lives at all. We live in a cancel culture. There are illnesses. I have never seen people with more severe illnesses than the day in which we live. There are marriage struggles. There are prodigal children, people who are trying to deal with children that are rebelling in every kind of way. And you and I were not created to be in the deluge of all this information that we're receiving in the media. There is a 24-7 news cycle. When I was a kid, we had news that came on at five o'clock on three different channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, that was it. And if you wanted the news, it was 30 minutes local time, 30 minutes national time, and that's all the news you're gonna get. Well, nowadays, it's 24-7 because of the internet. And when anybody is shot over here, anybody is stabbed over here, anything goes bad over here, we hear about the whole thing all over the world. And we're constantly bombarded with bad news. There's more fear today than I've ever seen in my life. So... That's why we need verses like Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice, first of all, you are safe in God's hand. And because of that, God's presence encourages you. God's presence encourages you. I'm not encouraged by the news that I hear, but I am encouraged by the presence of God who is with me even when I'm hearing the bad news. Look at verse 10 in Isaiah 41. Do not fear. Say that with me, please. Do not fear. Now listen, for I am with you. There's the presence of God. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. The Lord told these Old Testament saints that they were not to fear. They did not need to look around and be anxious for anything. They didn't have to fear any man. They didn't have to be anxious about the devil or demons. They didn't have to worry about earthly 
enemies. They didn't have to fear sicknesses, diseases, or pandemics, which they had back then. Those are mentioned all over the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. They didn't even have to fear the future because God was already in the future. He is the eternal God. They didn't have to fear anyone. They didn't have to fear anything. Why? Because God was with them. He was their God. They were his children. They were his people. And because he would never leave them, they could be encouraged. Do you remember the people that were taken as exiles out of Jerusalem to Babylon? And they went to Babylon and there was a king, an egomaniac, before he met the Lord. In chapter 4 of Daniel, he met the Lord. In chapter 3, he was an egomaniac that had built, Nebuchadnezzar had built this 90-foot-tall golden statue of himself. Now, can you imagine that? You're talking about vanity. A 90-foot golden statue of pure gold of himself. And he had everybody come in. And he said, I want you, when the band starts to play the music, I want you to bow down and worship this statue of me. Well, they played the music. Everybody got on their face except three men. Do you remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got to spell all those names to get into heaven. <laughs> I'm kidding you, okay? You don't. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't bend. They were not going to worship a man. They weren't going to worship a golden idol of anything or anybody because they could only worship the one true God. And so they said, no, we won't do it. And so they turned them in. Some people saw them standing instead of kneeling. They turned them into the king. The king said, did you not understand what I said? I'm going to give you one more chance and the music is going to play. And if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into the furnace of blazing fire. They said, we didn't misunderstand you, King. Our God, whom we serve, will save us from that fire. And even if he doesn't, let it be known to you that we will not bow down and worship the golden image that you have set up. That's what I'm talking about. We're not going to bow. We're not going to bend to you. No. He got so mad. He had the furnace heated up. Seven times hotter. It was so hot that when the soldiers of the king threw these three Jewish men in the fire, the soldiers were killed by the radiation and the heat that was coming out of the fire. And so they land in the fire, and we pick that up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 23. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. That didn't last long. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods, literally the son of God. That was the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ and the only thing that got burned up, it wasn't them. It was the ropes that held them in bondage. And God set them free. And Jesus is walking around with them in the fire. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered together and around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. There were no blisters, there was no burn places, anything like that, nor was the hair of their head singed. Have you ever gotten too close to a grill and burned the, the hair on your hand, it doesn't smell real good. And there was no smoke like that, nor were the trousers damaged, and I love this last part, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. They didn't even smell like smoke. God showed up and showed off. Jesus came to them in the fire. They would rather be in the fire with God than out of the fire without God. They found out there's a fourth man in the fire and his presence encourages us. I want to ask you, do you say, well, that's a nice little story. No, it's not a story. That's something that really happened. I want to ask you, are you tired of living in fear? I want to say this to you. God says, do not fear. Say it with me. Do not fear. How many of you say that God said that in the Bible? Anybody say that out there? Okay. So if you do fear, what is that? Talk to me. It's a three-lettered word. Starts with an S, lives, ends with an N, and it's got a big old I right in the middle of it. Fear is sin unless it's the fear, the reverence of God. You say, I don't believe that. Okay, let's go back, do our math again. God says, do not fear. So if God tells you to do something and you disobey, what is that? Sin. Sin. Well, I've never thought of it that way. I know you haven't. A lot of times the reason you fear is because your parents feared and your friends fear and all your siblings fear and that's just what we do. That's just natural. Well, I don't want to be natural. I want to be forgiven so that I can be supernatural in the power of God. I don't want to fear. I'm not going to fear because it's the opposite of faith. The last verse in Romans 14 says, anything that is not of faith is sin. So if you're living in constant fear all the time, I want to tell you something. You're living in sin. You're living in sin. You say, I just, I can't believe that. That's the way it is. So what's the remedy? God's manifest presence in your life. Knowing that God is with you. Are you sick? God is with you. Are you discouraged? God is with you. Have you lost your job? You haven't lost your God. You lost your job, God is with you. Are you lonely? God is with you right now. Are you going through a divorce? God is with you. Have you lost a loved one to death? God is with you. I just talked this morning. I was late coming into the nine o'clock service. I prayed with a sweet wife and mother whose husband 
50-something years old, died this week unexpectedly, left her with two teenage girls, and I was praying with her. And you know what? The only hope I could give her was the hope I'm giving you. It is a fiery trial you're going through. It is something I've never had to go through. But I want to tell you, even in the midst of this, God is with you. Even in the midst of it, God is with you. Don't fear, he says. I am with you. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us right now. I love Psalm 23. I pray it every day. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah went on to say, God said, through Isaiah in Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, not if, but when you pass through the waters, when you go through the tough times, I'll be with you and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, it's going to be just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. God doesn't promise us not to have problems. We're going to have problems, but God says, I will help you through the problems. And he'll use your problems to burn off of you all the things that spiritually bind you. God's a good God. God's a good God. I'd rather be in the fire with God than out of the fire and not have God. And if you walk with God, you're going to go through the fire, but you'll never be alone. Never be alone. The Lord is with you. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 46, verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Then he says, Selah, pause and think about that. That's what that word means. Stop living in fear. Be encouraged today. The ever-present God is holding you right now. His presence encourages you. Secondly, Christian, you're safe in God's hands because, secondly, God's promises enable you. Not only does his presence encourage you, his promise, promises in the Bible enable you. This book, look at me, for every problem you have, there's a promise in this book. For every prom problem you have, any problem you face, there are many promises in this book that you can claim as a blood-bought, spirit-filled Name written in the Lamb's book of life, child of God. You can claim every promise in the Bible. And notice he gives three promises here in verse 10. Here's the first one. I will strengthen you. Here's the second one. Surely I will help you. Here's the third promise. Surely I will uphold you. Let's look at them one at a time very quickly. First of all, God promised his people in the Old Testament, I will strengthen you. Strengthen. It's the Hebrew word amets. It means I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you courageous. I'm going to make you bold. I'm going to make you brave. God's going to strengthen you. Those are the characteristics, by the way, of a valiant, victorious warrior. God was telling them, you're my warriors. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to make you bold. I'm going to give you courage. I'm going to make you brave. You won't be a coward if you follow me. You won't live in fear because I'm going to strengthen you. And then he said, not only that, but surely I will help you. I like that little word, surely. It's a little tiny word in the Hebrew. It's A-P-H in the English, af, and it means indeed, assuredly. It's very similar to what Jesus 
said in the New Testament, verily, verily, that's the King James, and in my translation, truly, truly, and in the original language, amen, amen. What it means is, surely is like amen and amen, you can count on it. God said it, you'd better believe it, because God doesn't lie. God promised you that he would help you. Surely he will. He said, I will support you. I will, that's, it's like him saying, I will sponsor you. I will be your blessed benefactor. I'm going to take care of you. I will help you. I'll fight your battles. I'll meet your needs. I'll calm your storms. Surely, bank on it. I will help you. And then he says the last promise, the third promise. Surely I will uphold you. Again, surely. Count on it. It's done. Bank on it. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to grasp you. Tamak is the word. I'm going to hold you securely in my all-powerful hand. You're not holding on to me. I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. You're safe in my hands. My promises enable you. A few weeks ago, I preached on, out of the book of James on God promises that if you will be open to helping other people, God will help you. If you will give to other people, God will give to you. If you'll be kind to other people, people will be kind to you. What you reap, what you sow rather, you will reap. That which you give is what you're going to receive. How many of you know that when a preacher preaches a sermon, God sometimes tries him out to see if he really believes what he's preaching? Amen? So I was preaching at a funeral of a family that Don and I have known for over 30 years. And this lady was just a few years younger than us. When they joined our church in Jackson, she was 28. She died 32 years later at the age of 60. She did, it wasn't COVID, but she got some kind of respiratory disease, and in two days, she was dead. She was dead. I said, can you do the funeral? I went up, did the funeral, and they gave me a little note, and I told Mark, I said, Mark, if this has got any money in it, I don't want it. I, I just want you to say, look, I just take it and, and do whatever with it. I opened it up as a check for $100. And the minute I looked at it, the Lord impressed my heart. This is not for you. This is for somebody else. I said, great. Whatever you want. They gave it. Whatever you want. So I, the next day, or two days later, that was on Saturday or Monday, I cashed it, put those 20s in my pocket, and kept them. And later that week, the Lord said, I want you to give that and a little bit more to this person. And so I gave that to this person. And think about it. This guy gave it to me. I gave it to this person. And the minute, I, he said, the minute you gave it to me, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. This is not for you. He said, does not, God not know who to give stuff to? What's the deal here? That's not it at all. God just likes to see if we're going to obey him. And he gets a lot of people on one in on one blessing, amen? And so this has gone now to three people already, all right? One, it's gone to one, from one, to another, to another, 
and is still not at the right place. So this guy gave, I gave, this other guy is about to give, and he finds out about a woman in our church who has had something stolen from her, and she needed to replace it, and guess what? The amount to replace it is exactly what I had given him and what he was led to give to somebody else. And he connected with her and gave her that. She didn't have enough money on her own. She paid for this herself. But that's not all. You said, what'd she do? She bought what she needed. But then the guy that gave her that, that I had given to him, that this guy had given to me, this guy that gave it to her, God gave him, somebody gave him a gift certificate that week and said, I just wanted you and your wife to go out to eat. And it was more than what I had given him. Now you say, Brother Steve, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. If I'm lying, as Jerry Clower said, I'm dying, all right? I'm telling you the truth. God keeps his promises. And he gets a lot of people in on it when he does things. That's just the way God is. God is a good God who promises and his promises enable us. We're safe in his hand. Do you need provision? Then claim the promise. What promise do you want me to claim? How about Romans 8, 32? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, Jesus up for us all. How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? If he'll give you Jesus to go to a cross, he'll give you your needs. He'll, if he'll give you his son, he will give you food to eat and clothes to wear. He'll give you protection. Do you need protection? Isaiah 91, 10 and 11. No evil will befall you. No plague will come near your tent or your dwelling. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I tell my wife all the time, I say, now baby, you be careful. And she, every time she said, don't worry about me. I got angels around me. I got angels around me. I said, yeah, but go ahead and be careful too. All right. <laughs> you know, you know, but I'm, Thank God for the angels. Amen. Are you lonely? Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. The Lord is, here's the promise for you. The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God won't leave you. God won't forsake you. You said, my daddy left me, but God won't leave you. My wife left me, but God won't leave you. My mother left me. God won't leave you. God won't leave you. God won't leave you. You sick? Jeremiah 17, 14 is a great promise. Heal me, O Lord, I will be healed. Save me, I'll be saved. You're my praise. For every problem you have, there's at least one promise in this book. God can help you, friend. His promises will enable you. You're safe in the hand of God. Just think about that. I'm safe in the hand of God. Let's all say that. I'm safe in the hand of God. Doesn't mean problems are not going to come. Doesn't mean that you're not going to go through a tough time. But it does mean you're not going to go alone. You're safe in the hand of God. God's presence encourages you. God's promises en enable you. And one more thing, God's power envelops you. Look at the last part of Isaiah 41, verse 10. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous, what's the next two words? Right hand. Now don't get mad at me. God is right-handed. Now I'm married to a left-handed girl and she reminds me all the time, I'm, I'm left-handed but I'm in my right mind. Amen. 
So, it's not that God's left or right-handed. It means that the, the right hand of God is his prominent hand. It is a way to say, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. My power in my right hand is all you need. God's right hand is his hand of strength. Exodus 15, 6. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. You got an enemy? That enemy better watch out because he's facing somebody who is in the right hand of God. It's his hand of blessing. I pray this verse every day. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Now listen, in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You want to live a happy life? You want to live a life full of pleasure? Pleasures that the world can't give you? Be in the right hand of God. That's where the pleasure is forevermore. And then... His right hand is the hand of refuge and protection, Psalm 17, 7. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Oh, my refuge, that means my strong tower where I run when I'm in trouble is the right hand of God. And oh, his hand is a hand of righteousness. His right hand is Psalm 82. 48, verse 10, as is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. That is why Jesus, who is 100% righteousness, is at the right hand of God. The most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my what hand? Right hand. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verse 2, here's what we're supposed to do. Hebrews 12, 2, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher are the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down, where is he sitting? At the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that something? The righteous son of God is at the righteous right hand of God. But it's better, it gets better. You say, how can it get better than that? Oh, listen, it gets better. Do you know that because you are a child of God, do you realize where you're sitting right now? You say, I know where I'm sitting. I'm sitting at Bellevue Baptist Church. I'm sitting at 2000 Appling Road. I'm sitting right here in these new chairs that y'all just bought this last year during the pandemic. That's where you are physically. But if you know Jesus, do you know where you are spiritually? You are seated in heavenly places in Christ at the right hand of God. You say, I've never heard that before in my life. Well, you're about to hear it right now. Comes out of Ephesians chapter two, verses four and following. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved 
And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you're saved, you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, Christ is at the right hand of the Father. If you are in Christ and Christ is at the right hand of the Father, you are seated in Christ next to the Father. And listen to me, no demon has a say over you. No devil has a say over you. No person has a say over you. They might come after you. They might attack you. They might even hurt you physically, but they can't do anything to your spirit. They can't do anything to your soul. They can't do anything to your eternal destiny. You are not holding on to God. God is holding on to you and he's holding you and his righteous right hand that is omnipotent and is stronger than anything in the whole universe. In fact, his right hand created the universe and there's nobody that can harm you unless he lets it through. Now you think about it. You think about it. I'm gonna read another verse to you. I love John 10, verses 27 through 30. I pray it every day. When I pray, God is Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Can I, instead, you just follow it. I, I'm gonna pray it like I pray it. Is that all right? Lord, I thank you that I'm one of your sheep. I hear your voice. You know me. I follow you. You give eternal life to me. I will never perish. No one will snatch me out of your what? hand. The Father who has given me to you is greater than all. No one's able to snatch me out of the Father's hand. You and the Father are one. Now look at me. What he's saying is, when I got saved, the Spirit of God came in me and then Jesus grabbed me with his righteous right hand. The Father grabbed me with his hand and look at me. I'm under double lock and key. The devil's got to pry back the hand of the Father and the hand of the Son. And if he ever could, which he can't, the Holy Ghost would still be in me. Amen? So I am, I am under double lock and key. Anything that comes into my life has to pass the hand of God. And so I know any trial I go through, it's not to take me down. It's not to send me to hell. It's not to beat me up. It's to make me more like Jesus. It's just to knock a few of the, the rough edges off of me so that I can look more and more like Jesus. So anything he lets in here that I don't really like, I might be a little bit irritated, but I am not out of the hand of God. God's got me. And look at me. God's got you. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Let's all say that together. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now let's all say it together. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. God the Father is holding me. Say that. God the Father is holding me. And then say, God the Son is holding me. God the Son is holding me. I'm under double lock and key. Say it with me. I'm under double lock and key. God's holding on to you. God's holding on to you. God's holding on to you. A man gave me this picture. I was 
eating lunch with him one day and he handed me a picture. He said, Brother Steve, when I saw this, I thought of you. Those are the hands of God. That's a picture of the hands of God. And he's molding the clay. Have you ever heard that song? I am the potter. You are the potter, I'm the clay. Came out of Jeremiah. And here you've got that text in Jeremiah. God was shaping Jeremiah. God was shaping his people. God's hand was upon them. And look at me. If you're saved, leave that on the screen. If you're saved, you're in the almighty hands of God right now. God's got his hand on you. And every once in a while, Drew, he'll, he'll, he'll see a little thing in there he doesn't like. And he says, oh, we've got to get rid of that. And he plucks it or he gets his thumb and digs in there and gets it out. And it hurts a little. But he's making me more like Jesus. Because he's got me in his hands. And when he's finished, and he's not, you're not going to believe the end result. When he gets through with you, it's going to be incredible. I got ordained to the gospel ministry 41 years ago in July. I remember a lot about my ordination, several things. I remember one guy asking me a question. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I thought I knew the Bible pretty good even back then. He asked me, what do you believe about alien baptism? I didn't know what he was talking about. How many of you don't know what he's talking about? Anybody out there? He's talking about, do you believe that we as Baptists should accept the baptisms of other denominations? That's what he's talking about. I didn't know what he was talking about. So I made a joke out of it. I said, all I know is if I can win somebody from Mars to Jesus and baptize them, I'll do it. Amen. <laughs> He didn't laugh. I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Alien immersion, what are you talking about? I remember that. <laughs> I remember the church being full that night. I remember Don and I holding hands, a little bit scared because we'd just been married a month and I didn't know what happened at an ordination service. Came time for the hands to be, people to lay hands on me, the ordained people to lay hands on me. And I remember Dr. Orr, who had baptized me, he had been retired a few years. He laid hands on me, prayed for me. I remember Dr. Bob Agee, who had introduced me and Donna to one another. He had been her pastor. He had been the interim pastor there at Dyersburg. He laid hands on me. I remember the other preachers, even that guy that talked about alien immersion, I remember him laying hands on me. But then I felt a pair of special hands. It's my daddy's hands. My daddy had to plow in the ninth grade. He had to quit school because of the depression. His daddy got sick and he had to bring in the crops. He was the man of the house from the time he was in the ninth grade. And his hands were calloused. He plowed behind a mule. They didn't have a tractor. They were poor. Had a dirt floor in their home. 
And those same hands that plowed behind a, a mule. Those hands were on deck during World War II because he was in the Navy and he fought for our nation in the 1940s. He came back and he got a job on the railroad and he, those hands worked for 40 years on the railroad. Those hands placed a ring on my mother's left hand when they got married in 1946. Those hands of my daddy's held me when I was born, 1957. They spanked me when I did wrong while I was growing up. He didn't know anything, out, he didn't know anything about time out. He knew another type of out, but he didn't know anything about time out. They taught me how to shoot and to hunt, how to fish, how to mow yards, how to change the oil in my car, how to drive, how to give money in the offering plate. He was the head usher at our church. He was my best man at my wedding. And he handed me the ring that I put on Donna's left hand 41 years ago, and she's never had it off. Every time she had a baby, she said, they said, you want to take it off? She said, I'm not taking this off. My daddy handed me that ring to give to her. And so here I am, bowed at my ordination. All these other fancy guys prayed for me. And I felt those hands. And all he could say was, I sure am proud of you. And I was grateful for those hands. There's something special about hands. Don and I'll be riding along and she'll slip her hand into mine. I'll slip my hand into hers. A lot of times I'll say, you can't buy that touch. That touch is not for sale. I love to hold her hand. One of these days, your body is going to play out. Your spirit and soul are going to leave your body. And I want to tell you what you're going to want to feel the moment you die, right after you die. What you're going to want to feel is the hand of God escorting you into heaven. And saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm looking forward to the hand of the Father. I'm looking forward to the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. I'm looking forward to the hand of the Holy Ghost. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the hand of that old railroad too. There's something special about hands. And you look at me. The devil himself can't pluck you out of the hands of God. You are sealed in the hands of God. The world can't pull you out of God's hands. You are sealed in the hands of Almighty 
God. Sickness can't do anything. It can't get you out of the hands of God. It may take you down physically, but you are still in the hands of God even if you die. You are in the hands of God and you will be in the hands of God a million years from today. You'll be in heaven walking around and you're just as secure today as you were then as you were right now. You're in the hands of God. Don't you ever be afraid again. Don't you ever be worried about the what ifs. Don't worry about the what ifs. Just say, this is what is. I will not fear. I will not fear. I will not fear. God is with me. I will not anxiously look about me. He is my God. He will strengthen me. Surely he will help me. Surely he will uphold me. And I'm going to be held in his righteous right hand today, tomorrow, all the days to come, and forevermore. Glory to God for his holy right hand. Amen. Let's praise him. Praise you, Lord.